everything's so linked. Your mind, your body, and your heart, everything is linked. And you might be looking very happy here, but you feel something inside that is just like, you might present happiness, but you it's like pain behind. And that's very synonymous with a lot of people who struggle with mental health. Hi guys and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. He is the co-founder of Livin, a not-for-profit mental health organization. He's also an actor and you may have seen him on shows like Neighbours, Home and Away and Survivor. Welcome to the show, Sam Webb. Rach, it's a pleasure. I'm very grateful to, to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a good chat with you over the next whatever time it is. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited to chat with you. And I think, I mean, just before we hit record, we've obviously got a few things in common. You being over in LA is is so exciting um, because I have spent some time there. And it's a really fun place. But what is the vibe over there at the moment? I know, um, you know, we're sort of kind of post-COVID. Um, what's the what's the sitch on the ground over there? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we only just recently got got, got allowed to take off our masks inside. So really? That, yeah, it was, it's been pretty crazy over here. I was stuck here for two years uh, before I went back to Australia over Christmas to see the family. And it's, it's been a bit of a wild place, good old Los Angeles over the last couple of years, hey, since the, the pandemic kicked in. I, I wouldn't say it's the safest place in the world right now, but it's definitely, there's glimmers of hope and I feel like it's it's definitely getting better day by day. But I mean, it's, it is what it is. I don't know a lot of Australians kind of left after the, or during the pandemic or just before it got really bad. And, um, but it's picking back up. It's definitely picking back up and there's, there's a bit more steam coming down these streets at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that the homelessness mm. has increased a lot and all of that kind of stuff because LA is traditionally known to be um, quite notorious for having a lot of homeless people. But it's kind of – it's weird too because I think the two, the, the city has this – the Hollywood vibe, obviously, the industry and, and everything that's going on with that and then this other side of the city which is um, – yeah, all the, I guess, the homelessness. Yeah. So have you, you've, have you noticed that the industry is like picking up now a little bit? Yeah, the industry definitely is. And I think, you know, there's just so, – it is. And you're, you're not wrong about the whole home and it's so sad, you know. Like I live off Sunset in West Hollywood and like between where – if you go down a few more streets, it starts getting into Hollywood, Hollywood. And that's where it's like yeah. – the homeless is really bad over here. It's, they, they're saying it was kind of like the worst it's been in, in decades. and But it's so sad. Like there's not a day that I don't go out and especially this last couple of months because I've been carless where I've walked and I and I, I haven't seen a, a person who's homeless or struggling. And it's really sad, you know, like everyone's going through their own, own stuff and, and however they got there, I mean, I don't know their journey, but yeah, it's crazy there's tents lining up down the streets down here there's like homemade homes on the side of the road like by multi-million dollar properties you know like there's it's tents at the end of streets like it's it's sad but it's it's the reality that we live in in this part of the country i guess and um yeah, it's so crazy yeah it, it is but yeah i think the industry is definitely starting to pick back up and 
um, which is good, and I'm excited for whatever this future future has in store. Yeah, it's it's um, it's good to see that sort of you know things are starting to seem a little bit more normal. We will get stuck into a bit more acting stuff, I think, a little bit later. But I'm really interested to hear more about your personal journey, especially with mental health. And obviously, you started um, living your mental health organisation with your mate um, as well, Casey. So tell me a little bit more about how this sort of came to be and what your your personal experience has been with mental health or people around you with mental health issues. Yeah, definitely, Rach. I mean, living started in <clears throat> 2013, September 15 actually. Uh, Casey and I and a bunch of us, you know, close friends, we lost a good friend by the name of Dwayne Lally. And Dwayne was uh, at the time, you know, we were, what, 24 I think? 23, 24, 25, and, um, you know, he was a life of the party. And I'm just going to try and give you a, a descriptive analysis of Dwayne, like life of the party, very talented at what he did, whether it was professional or personal and sports. And, you know, he was a great guy, had a great group of friends, great community, very close family. And from the outside looking in, you know, you, you would have looked at Dwayne if you were any other guy being like, yeah, he's got his stuff together, you know. Like the guys, the guy's cool. He's he's talented. He's he knows what's up. Like he's 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 got it. And um, Dwayne, he actually invited me to his party that night. We had like a little bit of a get together party at his place in Palm Beach on the Gold Coast. I'm not sure how well you know the Gold Coast, but um, yeah, a little bit. And a um, little bit, yeah, a little, little bit. And um, <laughs> we, we were at his place having a great night, and and you know, I was speaking to Dwayne, spoke to people at the party, it's just like any other night, watching footy, drinks. You know, it's like early twenties, having a good time. And I remember Dwayne calling me into his room that night, and he completely opened up to me about his own mental health struggles and right. his journey. Like, brutally honest, I I didn't know the extent of his mental health challenges and his demons that he was facing. I didn't. I had no idea on, on the extent of how bad they were and I was a good friend of Dwayne's, you know. And mm. he opened up to me that night and shared with me about how he was feeling and how he's felt in the past and he said, and this is what really changed shifts in that conversation, was kind of like, you know, Webby, I, I've tried to take my life, uh, my life before and I was like so caught off guard. I didn't see that coming at all. Like it was just out of the blue. And he goes, not once but mm-hmm. twice. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like you've thought about it, you, you went to do it. And like we were talking about it, like actively speaking about it. And he reassured me that life is all good and I was trying to comfort him going, man, yeah, that's not the right way. And we'd lost friends before in the past to suicide. Like suicide is something that happens regularly, right? But it's not yeah. spoken about much. And I'm sure we'll yes. get into it in this in this chat. But um, Dwayne's like, yeah, no, no, we've lost – we were speaking about a friend that we, mutual friend that we'd lost before and the impact it had on friends and, and that person's family directly and it would just rips people apart. And he's like, yeah, I know, Webb, I, I, I know, but, you know, I'd never do it. I could never do it to my family and friends and I'm all right, man, I'm all right. And I was trying to reassure him that night, like, life is great. I've got his back. If he ever struggled, people would write, you know, write, reach out, go get him if he'd ever need any help. And, you know, he reassured me life was good, future looked bright and promising and... You know, I thought as Sam Webb, I listened as best as I could have, uh, knowing what I know now and I look back, I, you know, I probably would have done a few things differently, I guess. Uh, and I don't beat myself up for that because I didn't know them at the time. Um, but I remember one of the last things Dwayne said to me was, don't worry, Webby, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. It's all good. 
And I remember going, leaving the room that night and not so long after that, we, you know, there was a good conversation um, I had with a friend. We were just hanging out at the party and then I, a bit of commotion went down and Dwayne had disappeared. And um, I drove around the Gold Coast looking for him that night. I probably shouldn't have drove, but I did. And um, with, his, with his girlfriend at the time and, and the girl that I was seeing at the time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was ringing him, texting him and everything and going, man, please don't even consider doing anything we spoke about tonight. You know you've got a great group of friends and everything around, da 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 da, da. No answer, phone went unanswered, messages went unanswered and, and it wasn't until the next day um, at about five o'clock and I'll never forget it because it definitely does feel like yesterday. Time goes so fast, you know, and mm. I remember getting a call from, from one, of our, one of our friends going, Dwayne had been found. He, he was found and, and he was dead. And, and oh my I, I, I really, like, I didn't, I didn't want to believe that, but I, I never thought that that would have been the end game on that whole yeah. night. I really didn't. It was kind of like the worst thing that could have happened, happened. And I remember yeah. throwing my pizza along the wall and driving to the hospital because I, I didn't believe it and I, I didn't believe it and, and I had to actually see Dwayne in... in in death form, so to speak, and to, to really to, to, to know that this had actually happened and, yeah, everything changed from then. And that's when kind of living was started. Dwayne took his life and um, he hid the pain really well. He didn't reach out for help and, and I guess that's where living started not so long after that. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, and, and he always used to say, we're living, man, we're living. And that was one of his – a lot of people have that as a figure of speech but he used to really run that home and – him and I always used to say, we're going to the top, we're going to the top and we'll just have a great life and we'll just crush anything and everything that comes into our path. And uh, that's where the arrow in the, in the logo, living, comes from. So it's very um, meaningful. And yeah. um, we started living. And, and it's, what, it's been t- 2013, Dwayne passed, and it's 2022 now, so going on nine years. Almost ten years, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. That story, I mean, it's not that I didn't know what the story was, but... Hearing you tell the story, I think, is really impactful because I can't even imagine. I, I've never been through anything like that where I've had someone so close to me take their own life. I definitely have, you know, people that I've heard have been suicidal, but not that hasn't happened. And so I can totally see how that would impact you so greatly that mm. um, it would kind of propel this into um being living which is which is I mean one of the great things about living is that yeah it's got such meaning for you and Casey and um it comes through your work right with mental health and um we, we've actually had um Alexa Towsey who's actually, yeah, actually yeah. Alexa on the show yeah and Alexa's of course she does a, a little gra- work a great, a great human being yeah and she and she also had obviously a great um she, her story with mental health is is um, very deep too. So it's so good to see what you guys are doing um, with Livin and all the amazing work. And, you know, I think one of the things that um, you are doing is dismantling the stigma because I think that was one of the things that you sort of outlined is hard for people to get through in terms of opening up about their mental health issues. Um, you know, and so you do that through education and workshops and raising awareness. I'm, I'm interested to know what you have noticed with people's mental health pre-COVID as opposed to post-COVID. Uh, have you sort of witnessed what, what you have observed in terms of 
their mental state? <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I think it's a good que- it's a great question. I think first of all, I'm not a mental health professional, so what I speak is purely from my own lived experience and and you know me being a student of life. I've I've worked alongside and I continue to work so- alongside mental health professionals, but I'm not one myself. So anything that I do um, relay here is certainly not uh, medical advice, so to speak, uh, and I want to make that clear. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, I think is definitely, um, if you look at mental health statistics and, and call lines, especially I'm talking here in the US because um, I've been here for the most part over the last few years, you know, calls becoming, you know, call lines are getting more calls, more people are reaching out for support, more people are accessing support. So that tells me two things. That tells me that more people are definitely getting help so the problems may be getting worse. I'm not exactly sure. But the good thing out of that is people are actually reaching out for help, which is yeah. a good sign um, rather than people just not doing anything about it. You know, we work alongside the crisis text line here in the US and, and they've seen a massive spike in numbers of their crisis text line over, over this pandemic period, especially for young people experiencing stress, PTSD-related symptoms, anxiety, depression, uh, isolation and all of those things that come along with it. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it has – I believe personally from my, my, my eyesight and from what I'm hearing and seeing on the ground, it's definitely – you know, issues definitely have, have gotten worse. How much, I don't know. And um, we'll wait to see what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, afterwards. What, what has been sort of the things that you've noticed with the – programs and things that you run through the people that you help through live in what sort of happens to them prior to them hearing I guess the things that you have to educate them on in terms of mental health do you notice a big shift in the way that they approach how they deal with mental health how they are feeling in terms of opening up about their mental health things like that because you work a lot with um in schools and things like that too with kids and in their teens and whatnot right yeah yeah yeah. so uh, the team back Mm. in australia uh they definitely deliver and and when i was back in australia uh, yeah used to speak at schools all the time we continue to speak at schools it's our primary audience in in terms of making a real difference empowering change making change increasing mental health literacy among young people so they can reach out and seek support prior to us coming into the program uh, we are noticing, and this is through evaluations and, and you know, some level of um, statistics, so to speak, is, you know, a lack of understanding around mental health, how to speak up if you're struggling, like who would you, who would you actually go to if you had a hard time in the school place and what are the things that you, you wouldn't say to someone that might be struggling or how you could support a good friend or, or someone that in your life that you care about that's struggling, whereas after the program some of the really early basic changes, immediate changes we're seeing, and this isn't a prolonged change, this is immediate, so I'm talking zero to three months after a program has been delivered, we are seeing, you know, an increase in mental health understanding, increase in literacy, warning signs and symptoms, how to speak up, who to ask for help, would I be confident to reach out for help? Yes, all these things. So it is going in a positive direction. 
And the program yeah. is definitely effective. That's amazing. It's so good to hear, and especially at that age, because I think one of the stats I looked up, it was a while ago, it was a, <laughs> a Beyond Blue stat about uh, depression in young people, and it was under 25, people under 25. I think it's about 70% or something mm. like that experience some form of mental health issue. And so it's good to be able to educate them at that age as well to be able to have those tools. But for those people who are listening, what are the warning signs? Because I, I think like we were talking about there with COVID, I mean, yes, COVID is somewhat over and I feel like, you know, maybe the, the worst part is over, we, we hope, but there are still lingering effects around mental health that are affecting people now, even though we are sort of out of lockdown and all that kind of stuff. So what do you sort of teach, you know, in your program about what are the warning signs that we need to look out for, for, for with people around us and friends and family? You know, what, even if you look back on your experience with Dwayne and was, it, was there anything that was going on that maybe you realise now was a warning sign but you just didn't know that it was? Mm, for sure. And I think, I think there are a lot of different warning signs and symptoms that, you know, when you're close to somebody in your life, you know them better than anybody else, generally speaking. So you're always definitely in the hot seat in terms of seeing someone change in terms of their behaviour. Now, one of the big telltale signs or warning signs when someone may be struggling is a change in their behaviour and a complete mood shift or a change in something that they're doing. It doesn't mean that they've got a mental health condition or they're struggling with their mental health, but it's definitely a warning sign. Things like change in appetite, for example, lack of sleep. If this is, I'm just saying, if you're if someone's struggling that's listening to this now, these are the things you'd look out for. Um, change in body language, behaviour, not going to events anymore, being dismissive, uh, making excuses, or you know, about, you know, evading events or or people in your life that you'd normally always hang out with or spend time with. You know, all those things. You know, excessive alcohol use, drug use. Uh, doing it to silence pain or, you know, all that sort of stuff or having suicidal thoughts. These are all warning signs and symptoms and they say any of – and they're not the only ones but they're, they're some of the main ones but they say any that persist for like two or more weeks, any five that persist for two or more weeks over an extended period of time, you know, it's probably worth going to speak to someone about it just to make sure that you're okay and that it won't spiral into anything else. It's kind of like being proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. But the, the whole and, – and again, you don't, you don't need – one thing a lot of people have to understand, and this is something I'm trying to get my head around still to this day, is you don't actually have to go through a traumatic event in your life or, or something really bad to actually be challenged by something mentally. You know, it could be just a build-up of things over the years and you just think of it like throwing paint on someone. All these little things, you're throwing different colours on them every day for a couple of years, even if they're all small things. And I might think they're small for you, Rach, that they might be big problems for someone else, whatever. Mm. They add up over time and if you continue swallowing it and hardening up and being, I'm fine and not saying anything about it and pretending like it's not a problem and... and Generally, it, it t- turns into a big problem and sometimes that problem is very hard to manage, especially on your own. Yeah, it's, a, it's like compounded stress and anxiety or things that happen that, that accumulate is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- there's some really great warning signs and I think they're, they're really good for us to know. Um, what would you suggest 
for some ways for people to um, approach someone that you think is struggling because sometimes it can be a bit uncomfortable and awkward to sort of bring up with someone how they're feeling, if, especially if they don't if they don't generally open up about their emotions, you know. And these kind of things that people might be feeling sometimes are, um, are things that they don't want to share. How would you sort of suggest that we start the conversation, open up the conversation with someone we think might be struggling? Yeah, I think I think this all comes back to self, right? I think in order for other people to feel comfortable to speak up and share about how they're feeling with you, I feel like it needs to start with you. So you need to have to build that safe environment, that safe space so people are willing to open up to you on that deeper level. If they're not safe, they're not going to open up. It's end of story, you know, unless it's a crisis point and it's evident and, and there's no excuses of hi- or, or things to hide around, you know, or hide behind. So I think as someone first and foremost, and I said this in my TED, TED talk, is I challenge people to become the safest person possible so that they can reach out and create that safe space for someone else so that they can also reach out and have that conversation. Empowering other people, so listening and not being a, not, not, not trying to be a professional problem solver because no one is. And as men, for example, we, we, we like to think we can problem solve everything but we clearly can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I feel like being honest is where this starts. It's really being honest and like, for example, Rach, I, I know, look, I just thought I'd say this and this could be an example. I'm not saying this is what you would always say or could say but I'd be like, oh, I noticed that you're kind of not being yourself lately. feel like you've kind of been a little off. Is everything okay? And you might go to me, nah, Sam, I'm okay. I'm fine. But then if I wanted to challenge that on a deeper level as a friend, I'd say no worries, Rach. I appreciate you, you know, just being honest with me. I just want to let you know I'm here as a friend to talk to you if there is something that you're challenged with right now or at a later time in a safe space that you feel most comfortable in. You're not being overly pressured. You're not feeling, you know, the burden of, oh, he's onto me or he's onto something, you know what I mean? You're kind of like, he's left it in the ball in my court. He's been open about it as a friend. You know, it's kind of like creating yeah. that sense of rapport as well, a, a deeper level yeah. of understanding. So that's just one example. But and, 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 you know, if you opened up and said, you know what, Sam, I'm not good. I'm having a bad day. I'm stressed. I'm falling apart. My relationship's cooked. My work's going down the drain. I'd be like, I appreciate you sharing all this with me. I'm, I'm going to be re- really honest with you. I haven't experienced maybe one of those things, if that's the case, but I'm hearing you and I want to hear you to better understand what it is you're going through so that I can help you get through this because you will get through this with the right information but it doesn't happen overnight. So I'm not going to try and sit here and go, all right, I'm listening, all right, you're good, you're safe, you're great. Don't worry about that guy, he's a kook anyway. And like, you know, work, <laughs> don't worry about work, we'll, we'll find another job. It's not about that because then you just, yeah. you're kind of like just putting it all aside, you're not truly listening. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. That's, there's some examples I'd say and just come at it from a place of pure, pure, under, pure compassion and understanding because no one knows anything, uh, no one knows everything about anything. Have a think about that. No one knows everything about anything. And that's a true fact. Mm. <laughs> no one knows everything about anything. I really like that. It's something that we need to remember. And, and yeah, to come to people with compassion and, and listening. I think listening is really, really important, like you mm. said. Um, what are some other things that 
we could do as, you know, what are some tools that we could could implement to be better support people? Aside from listening and approaching people with compassion, are there anything else that we could do? Do we lead them to, you know, finding professional help? Is that something that is, you know, something that we should do as a support person? What are the other kind of things we should do? Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a range of things. And I always mm. say to people, it, it's definitely a responsibility to listen and be the best version of yourself to help someone else. But knowing that there are people in the world that are, that are, that are trained mental health professionals to help them get to a stage if it needs that stage to get the support they need to get back on track to start living again. So I always say, and, and it's very dawning for a lot of people. I don't know about you, Rach, or any of your friends or family, but, you know, for some dudes, it's very, and, and you know, women that I know in my life, it's very dawning for them to reach out and ask for support, you know. So offering that, like as a friend, another thing you could do is like, and your friend's like, maybe you go to me, oh, I'm, you're not feeling too comfortable. I don't really want to reach out. It's not that big a deal or I'm too scared to speak to, to help because it's, I don't know the process. I could be like, I, I get what you're saying and, you know, it's pretty common. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. But maybe we, I can make the call for you or I can come with you and we can seek the, the support together. I can wait with you in the waiting room so it doesn't feel so alone and isolated. And would that make you feel more comfortable? Yeah. Maybe it's still a no, but at least I've given you that option. You know, yeah. we want to do everything we can to point people in the right direction to get the support they need. And even speaking to that one support person, if it is the right person for them or it isn't the right person for them, it shouldn't stop there either. It might take a while to get that right therapist so yeah. they get back on track. And it takes, it can take a long time, but that is part of that journey. And that's what yeah. people need to understand. Yeah, it's part of the process. And it's almost like just being there to guide them through just the next step and just to take that that next step and have someone there with them mm. along the way, which is really good. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. I remember when I – there was one one girlfriend of mine that I had when I was quite young who was experiencing an eating disorder and she, um, she was pretty secretive about it and I think like a lot of people are with mental health issues. But we did – I did take her to the GP and to get – you know, a referral for a psych, which is, and I think that was helpful for her. I don't know if she would have done it alone if, she, if, if I hadn't gone. So I think it's, um, yeah, a really good point. Um, That's great. Now, one of your most recent posts that I've seen you put up, because um, Sam puts up a lot of really fab quotes on his Instagram. And one of the ones that I have seen recently, which I thought was really interesting, is um, the quote is, there's a difference between being happy and being distracted from sadness. And so I wanted to ask you about that and can you elaborate on what this means to you and why it was important for you to post? First, yeah, first of all, that quote I definitely um, took from someone else but it resonated with me. That's why I posted it. Um, mm-hmm. not, and most of those quotes I, 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 I bastardised to make my own. That one was actually taken from someone and I put it up. Um, so I don't know the exact name of the person but I'm going to say that that's been quoted. Um, but anyway, saying that, it's a great quote. And I, th- I think there is a difference between happiness and, and being being distracted. And what I mean by that is being like, you know, sometimes a lot of us, and, and I've been down this road before, it's very hard to slow down and to stop and, and really be in your own space and really listen to what's happening in your mind, your thoughts, your body when you're not doing anything. 
and I feel like that that is a that's a good showing of where you're at in your life, I believe. I really do because when I was younger, you know, I just used to keep real busy. I'm pretty busy these days, but not 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 like that busy, you know. Like where I'm forcefully trying to be busy to to silence the stuff going on in my my mind. And at those times where when I was younger, I reflect on it. I'm like, you know what? Was I? I wasn't truly happy because I wasn't truly fulfilled either. Because you know, I was always looking for the next best thing. I was always trying to do the next thing. I was always trying to stay busy. I was always trying to stay active. Always trying to do something. It was no downtime. And when I was hitting those downtimes, I'd kind of spiral and I'd turn to alcohol and, and whatever else, and um, or I'd I'd go for a thirty kilometer run or something just wild out of nowhere and a hangover because I couldn't deal with dealing with my emotions or my demons in that moment, mm, yeah. or the problems that were happening in my life. Maybe it was from childhood or um, adolescence or wherever it was, and and it really gives you time to, you know, digest and think about what it is that you're doing or what it is you're you're not wanting to process by keeping busy. Yes. What is that? That's that's the question I want to – and I had to ask myself and I continue to ask myself sometimes, not as bad, as bad as it used to be, but it was like – why do you, why can't you just chill? Like why can't you just be you? Just just be me. Oh, yeah, but like sitting there and just being in my thoughts. It's probably it's it's dawning sometimes because it's kind of like you pick. It depends on where you are and this you know this on on your mental health journey. But you, you might be picking yourself apart. You might be you know comparing yourself to other people. I'm not where I should be in my life. I haven't got a, a place. I haven't got family. I haven't got a wife. You know whatever it is on your particular mm. journey. And back then I was like, I oh, didn't want to face those things. I was cleaning, running, going out, socialising. There was just, yeah, just I, f- I feel like it was, a, it, was a, it was a dead end for me. I feel like that quote is, I, I resonate with it too and I, I like how you've described it there because we do all experience those things where we keep ourselves busy so we don't have to look at the stuff that's going on in our lives and usually it's the stuff we're trying to just shove down and, and not really look at. It's a distraction. Um, it's a distraction. Yeah. So it's, it's good to ask ourselves those questions of what it is, what is it that we're we're trying not to look at because eventually we will have to look at it. You know, it will come up at some point. 100%. And I think this whole life, you know, I think, and I don't know, this might sound not yogish or anything because I'm so far from a yogi, trust me. I'm sorry <laughs> if you are and whoever's listening. And I'm a, I, I appreciate if you are or whoever is. Um, but like, oh, no, I think I might have lost my chain of thought. It's kind of like, no, I haven't lost my chain of thought. Here it is. So you, you spend your whole life really trying to understand yourself. I feel like it's the one person in your life that you, you're really trying to truly understand is you. Like when you're going out and you're trying to understand what's going on or what you're interested in or what's happening with life and why aren't things this way when they should be this way? Why can't I control that when I could control this? These are all things... As much as you're saying these are the other things, and this might sound like spicy or something here, but you're kind of like you're really trying to understand you. You really are trying to understand yourself. That's what this journey is all about. 100%. I I really mean that, hey, because you spend your whole life trying to figure out things. But that one thing you're trying to figure out isn't buying the home, isn't having the family, isn't you know being an actor, isn't running a mental health, all this stuff, doing a podcast or... Being a model, whatever it is, 
these are things, but what you're really trying to, you know, understand is yourself. I 100% agree with you. I think the whole point of life is to really understand who you are and why you're here, what you're, mm. what, what you're, what you're doing here. And I think, you know, for me, definitely, um, you know, the thing that we, one thing that we have in common aside from having this passion for mental health is, is the acting thing. And, um, you know, I have taken a step back from acting, but I have always found that acting or at least the study of the craft of acting has helped me understand myself better and my emotions and it's helped me become more self-aware. So I'm curious to know what you have learnt as an actor that has helped you deal with emotions in your own life. Yeah, it's uh, it's a wonderful it's a it's a I love acting for those very reasons. Because yeah, you're me like too. in a very yeah and I, I can't I want to learn more about, you know, your journey with it all as well. So let's make this is a collaboration, all right? Um, sure, we can do so, that. All right. So, so I think I think of it like this: being in a classroom of other people who are acting, you're really just trying to learn again. You're just trying to understand you. That's what it's come down to again. It's the same thing. You're trying to understand you in all different colors, shades, values, whatever. Everyone has a dark side. Everyone has a happy side. Everyone has a sad side. However, we don't always explore the sad or the angry side they may never be they they may be suppressed for the rest of your life acting gives you permission to explore those areas in your life that you may not be able to show otherwise and i love that and i love the the it's probably a distraction in its own right however i I just i just do love that I, i love understanding other people will help me understand myself better as an actor or the other way around, what am I trying to say? But, yeah, I, I love it for those very reasons. The craft is a very – it's hard. It's hard being human. How hard is it being a human? So hard, isn't it? Yeah. It's the hardest yeah. thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> well, I so agree with you. I think understanding yourself helps you understand other people and obviously the characters that you are going to be portraying. And obviously understanding other people helps you understand yourself better. I think it goes both ways. And, I mean, I definitely learnt – Exactly what you said, I 100% agree with you that acting allows you the permission to explore those emotions that in real life we may not be able to explore because it's culturally unacceptable Mm. or some sort of conditioning or something like that. Um, Definitely in the technique that I studied, I studied Meisner, which um, is based in method acting, but it doesn't require you to go into past traumas, etc. It just requires you to um, basically create a imaginary truth and you live your emotions honestly and authentically in the moment, right? And so um, I think one of the things that that technique helped me do was to, like you said, explore those emotions that you otherwise would never have the opportunity really Sometimes you're not in situations in real life and thank God you you aren't because, you know, at least, yeah. you know, it's in a safe space where you get to experience it for a short period of time within a certain context of the play or the whatever show you're doing and you know that you're going to be able to step out of it once it's done. Whereas if it's real life, you don't really have that option. You have to deal with it. So I'm, I'm also interested to know if how acting has helped you learn how to be vulnerable because one of the things that you have to do as an actor is it's inherent in the nature of being an actor that you have to be vulnerable, that you have to accept all the parts of yourself. Like you were saying, we all experience or we all have the capacity to experience sadness, anger, that we have dark sides, we have light sides, we have shadow, you know, darker parts of ourselves. So 
I'm curious to know how, what are the things that you've done through acting that have helped you access those parts of yourself and be vulnerable? Yeah, it's, it's fun. Absolutely. I think vulnerability is something that I learned prior to acting. It was something with, with the whole, yeah, it's, I've been kind of on and off though. Like, cause growing up, I, I wasn't so vulnerable cause I was, yeah, hiding how I felt. I feel like living and doing acting simultaneously has really helped me be more vulnerable. Definitely. Mm. I think they go hand in hand because I, I've got to practice what I preach. If I'm talking about it, ain't weak to speak. I've really got to speak about how I feel. And sometimes it comes yeah. with a double-edged sword. You know, I speak too much how I feel. And yeah. it's, it, it can be a lot, you know. But, I mean, a- acting is, again, it's, it's, a, it's an environment where you, you turn up parts of yourself sometimes for a scene or for some of the work and you dial down some of the areas. Or you look – I don't know. I, I, just lo- I just love the idea. I just love the idea of – being Sam, still being Sam, but being a different side of Sam. That's what I love. I, lo- I love your everyday Sam is me here right now talking to you. But then in, if I'm putting on a scene, I, c- I can, yeah, I can step into something for a little moment in time, explore how that makes my body feel and I become super hyper aware. I'm very hyper aware of things, especially in the way my body feels. And that, c- again, comes – it's a struggle sometimes because if I'm anxious or – I'm having a panic attack, I might feel like I'm actually literally dying and I feel every part of that, but it comes as a blessing too. So if I'm acting, I feel a lot like internally and I feel like that's helped me become more aware. Mm. And, and it's so funny because your body, everything's so intrinsically linked, you know. You, you know this with what you study with Meisner and that. I mean everything's so linked. Your mind, your body and your heart, everything is linked. And you might be looking very happy here, but you feel something inside that is just like you might present happiness, but you it's like pain behind. And that's very synonymous with a lot of people who struggle with mental health. They mm. pretend everything's okay or life's great. They've got the new car or the house and the wife and whoever. But behind it, like their stomach is like ripping apart. And there's so many similarities between mental health psychology and acting, it's like, it's crazy. I, like, I feel like if you're an expert psychologist, you'd ace acting, but I don't know, I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or if you'd be an excellent actor, you'd make an excellent psychologist. I have, exactly. I actually, I actually have, um, one of my best mates actually was an actor and he, he's become a psychologist. There's so many correlations no, between right. acting and, and, yeah, and psychology because it's a study of human behaviour, right? It's yeah. a study of being a human, to be able to embody another character you have to understand those parts of yourself to be able to use those to bring that into the character yeah definitely and and what are your thoughts on it all like the whole acting stuff do you do you do you still do it actively enjoy do you enjoy it do you miss it if you don't do it like what where are you at with it all well I mean I've been an actor for 18 years a long time and so I only took a step back in 2019 and and so haven't been actively auditioning since then. But I will say this, my time in LA and studying, I studied Meisner when I was there and I was in and out of LA for several years. Acting has been profoundly life-changing for me as a human. So I would say that outside of the, I think people have this perception of being an actor where it's all glitz and glam and you you kind of, you know, want to be front and centre and all of that kind of stuff. And, of course, there's an element of that. But I think what's been so lovely about acting for me has been how much I've learnt about myself 
through the process of being an actor. And what I've really loved about acting, uh, the moments that I've loved so much are more the times that you don't see on stage. It's all it's all the stuff that you do in class or exercises mm. or things that you are, when you're working on the craft of acting, that's when you get those moments of realisation about yourself, you know, and, and doing exercises and um and exploring those parts of yourself. It's a very liberating and freeing feeling because you do get to just let, let loose, right? And you don't have the constraints of society or culture telling yeah. you what you have to be or who you have to be or how you have to respond. You've got complete freedom in that space to respond as truthfully as you would if you weren't in a place where you feel like you have to respond in a certain way, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what's so addictive about it, hey. And, and again, it's, mm. it's, it all comes back to the self, right? Because you're, you're really yeah. learning more and more about yourself every day. And I find it very liberating too. It's, a, it's like a release, you know. It's, I find it yeah. very therapeutic. I really do. Being up on the floor and stuff, it's great. Yeah, very cathartic and therapeutic. Yeah. What have you been studying over there? Have you been studying specific techniques? No, nah, not really. I've, I've dipped in toad and into a few of those little, you know, Meisner and whatnot over the years. Uh, at the moment yeah. I'm at a, at a studio called Anthony Mindell. Mindell. Um, it's cool. It's kind of like we're on book and that on this one. So it's, it's kind of... Most, you know, classes or, or wherever you're studying in Australia, it's kind of like you've got to be off book, you've got to be off book and it's completely yeah. memorised, which is cool, but it's scary at the same time. Whereas when you're working with script in hand at the studio, it's it's kind of – it's a, a fresh new approach because it's kind of like you take away that that burden of one – like worrying about what you're going to say next and you're completely there. And I'm, I'm yeah. really like – I've only been there for three – I only take classes here like – bits at a time so I'm doing six weeks and I'll probably take three four months off and then I'll go back for a month I take it in spurts and then do my auditions and stuff on the side and uh yeah I just I just I love it you know what I mean like I I learn and and I'll continue learning um for the rest of my life I'll never acting is just a thing of human evolution so you just keep learning yeah yeah I like that I like that I'm I'm interested to know what has acting taught you about yourself what's the biggest thing that acting has taught you about yourself (laughs) that's a great question Rach (laughs) Um, acting has probably taught me about my, has taught me, wow, that's a good question. No, I I think, I I really do think acting though has probably taught me that, you know, there is a part of me that I could probably slow down and still have a great time. I don't know. I I feel like because I live at such a hard, fast paced life most times, most days. I do have a little bit of downtime, don't get me wrong, but I feel like acting has taught me that I can slow down and it's okay and it's you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna lose anything by slowing down. I think that's something that I'm trying to learn every day in my life is just to try and smell the roses a little bit more. I'm very yeah. grateful. I'm probably uh, like overly grateful. It's not that's not the problem. The problem is just always doing you know working on the next thing or figuring out w- what's next kind of thing. You know, just just take a chill, just enjoy the moment more, and just be present. I think yeah. the acting stuff is definitely helping me understand that we need to to cherish those moments more, you know, and really, really, really be in those moments. One thing about, oh, that was a great moment, but really understanding it, like being aware of it, of that moment, like the sound, the smell, the touch, the sight, you know, what's that feel like to me? Mm. And that's where life starts to slow down, I feel. And that's probably mm. what I've been chasing for so long in my, in, you know, as a kid growing up, I was, it's pretty chaotic. Yeah, I like that. And I think... Like you said, being present, that helps us to even 
remember those moments better as well because when you're fully present in the moment, you are able to kind of sink that into your body, your mind and everything. So when you do reflect back on it, it's more memorable because you Mm. were there in the first place. I'm also interested to know what roles that you've done that have really challenged you emotionally and that have where, where you've had to be conscious of how it may impact your own mental health. I don't know if you've had an experience where you've stepped into a character where you you need to kind of be conscious of what it does to you. No, I haven't. I, I certainly haven't from a professional sense of the word, but I, I certainly have worked on some some pretty dark stuff in certain classes with a different studio over here in LA. And, yep. you know, it was you, – you actually had to take time to debrief. And I, I have – it's kind of like a cleansing method. Um, I do this just in general. And, and if I'm going off topic here, I'll revert back. Don't worry. Um, you know, when you're like – you feel like you've had a – there's just been a lot going on and you just want to cleanse yourself. Like if, you, if you're playing a pretty full-on character in class, which I, which I have – and it took on a lot of trauma and I really got into the backstory of it. So I built, I built this imaginary backstory um, which was an extension of, you know, the given circumstance in the script, so to speak, and I was building it out and I started getting down this rabbit hole and I, I, I was literally – I felt like – I actually started to feel like, holy shit, I'm like – am I allowed to swear on here? I, yeah. yeah. And I was like, holy shit, and I was like – I feel like maybe I've got a problem, like what this character has a problem. I feel like I've now carried that problem. And so what I've learned is when you do certain characters like that, and this has happened to me in life, not even just in acting, just in other other things where I felt like I've had to cleanse or debrief myself. And my way of doing that is I love a hot shower. Mm-hmm. Hot showers are like my safe haven. It's a place where I can really, really just be me in my own little space. No one's annoying me. Or, or worrying or asking me my phone, you know, all that stuff. It's so peaceful. And, like, I literally physically, like, wipe the character off me. Like, I literally go through that and wipe myself down. Like, it's it's physically happening. Like, I'm getting rid of it, if that makes yeah. sense. But yeah. I've done that before in when I felt, you know, just not, not 100% about myself or what I've been doing. This is years ago or I've, you know, I've... I'm highly, highly strung because I've done a big, you know, keynote talk and I'm like raging because I'm going off adrenaline and I'm speaking to so many different people. I just need to cleanse. So it'll be the same thing. Like I'll just like just get out of that. that that's that's Sam doing his thing on stage. That's not who Sam is all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's I important. Really like that. It's important. It's so important. And I think that's so great that you do it both with characters and also in your own life. I think one thing that I do find is when I was acting a lot, I actually think that there's not a lot of focus on mental health for actors. There's no, when you're in classes and sometimes you are, it depends on what technique you're learning. I I haven't studied anything where I've had to go, go into trauma, but even if you're building a character, like you were saying, that has a backstory that has gone through trauma to an extent you do uh, it, it does kind of infiltrate your body, your mind, and, mm. and you have to be able to step out of it. And there, actually, I've never experienced being in a class where there's been any uh, talk about how to take care of yourself outside of the studio or how mm. how do you take care of your mental health um, outside of this character. And I think it's so great that you've done that for yourself. But I do think that it's, it's an area that needs exploring because so many actors... 
um, get stuck into these roles for the for the you know craft for the love of the the character, mm. and then get stuck there yeah, and take true. on these get take on these characteristics and and often dark characteristics right into their own personas in real life. That you know you think about Heath Ledger and and yeah. you know what sort of happened with him and like to play a character like the Joker. Can you imagine oh, what that would yeah. be like to live in that character? You know. Anyway, I, 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 I just can't think even imagine it. But I mean, yeah, it was definitely at, that was a different class. This and there was another Anthony, actually Anthony Gelardi here in LA on Melrose, and he mm. he's a great friend of mine and and a, and a personal acting coach too for me for a few things. But um, he uh, he's he highly prioritizes his mental health for his students, and I think that's a really nice way to look at it. But, but in the studio mm. and after, and the yes. whole coming coming out of your character, I think was equally as important as getting into character, and. I, I, yeah, I think it's important because, yeah, again, at the end of the day, it's just it is it really is a job too, and you're trying to serve humanity in 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 its best way possible through you as the vessel. You know, you're the vessel trying to take on all this stuff and figure out. But it's cool. Like I love learning. Like when you pick up a script and your your character might be a doctor, and I don't know much about being a doctor, but it, you really like. I'm kind of all or nothing. It's like my mentality, yeah. which is dangerous yeah. as well. Um, I've got it tattooed on me here. Um, oh, amazing. And I'm like, I love learning. Like I'll dig myself rabbit holes. Like what's a doctor look like? How do they perform? How do they keep their back? Like you just, you learn so much about life. So Acting much. is one great place to learn about the art of life and living. 100%. And that's why I love it. And I, I actually tell people who don't want to act, go to acting class. It helps you with your confidence. Your place in the world, public speaking, it helps with everything. There is not one negative that's come out of acting class. Yeah, I, I would I would actually agree with you on that. Even if you don't want to become an actor, acting classes are so – they're such great places to learn about yourself, about everything. I mean, yeah, I, I am on board with you on that one. So yeah. one of the other things that I speak to all my guests about actually is rejection and failure. And obviously as actors we experience this – a lot probably more than mm. the average person. So I'm interested to know what has been your biggest or most notable rejection or failure and what have you learnt from it? My biggest rejection or failure, I, I don't know, you know, to be honest, I, I don't think I've had I have one big rejection or failure. I, I, think, I throw them all in the same same hat, the same bucket. Fab. Mm. Yeah, so I'm pretty – but I but – I, um, I've had a lot of losses over the years. I've had a lot of lot of failures and stuff. But I think it's over the years speaking to people like yourself and and, and other guests um, on my podcast and learning through mentors and just people in everyday life. Like I don't have one single mentor. I think everyone I come in touch and interact with in a life in my life is a mentor because I learn something from everyone. Honestly, I don't have a mentor. That's how I look at it. But they've all taught me one thing with failure and something that I've learned definitely over probably the last two or three years is kind of changing your relationship with the word failure. What does it actually mean? I think is really important. We all think failure, okay, you're a loser or you didn't make it, you're not good enough, you've got to be better. Whatever you, you identify with failure, I think is really important to revisit that and mm. figure out what's true and what's not true, what's fact, what's not fact. Pardon me. And um, I think that's really important to do because failure, I, I've never... Every where I am in my life is because I failed. I haven't got here because I've just been lucky and things have all stacked up for me because that's definitely not the case. I've lost a lot, I've been through a lot, and I've 
continue to go through a lot. And and you know what? Because I've changed the way I look at the word failure and obstacles and all that, I actually look for failure. I don't look for it actively like I want to fail because it means I'm going to get there quicker. <laughs> but I but I but I know if I fail, I'm definitely going to get there. Like I'm, I'm making the right choices because I'm I'm not quite where I want to be, but I'm going to get to where I need to be. And the thing is with acting, for example, whenever I do an audition. And I know a lot of actors and I haven't probably even gone for nearly as many auditions as you probably have or other people over here because I haven't been doing it for a long time over here. Mm-hmm. But, but I've, learnt my, I've learnt something, right? And what I do is whenever I do an audition, I think of it as like just another job interview, right? I don't say any emotional attachment. I grab my piece of paper and I throw it there and I scrunch it up and put it in the bin and I won't even forget about it. I'll forget about it. I've got a pretty yeah. good memory of just blocking things out. But, I mean, maybe ask me if I was – if I got down to a co- like a, a screen test or something for a major film, if I ever did and then I didn't get it, that'd be a pretty hard pill to swallow. But, <laughs> but failure I think is just – it's just the word. It's how you define that in your life and what it means to you I think is the most important part of it. Yeah, I love that so much. Look at your relationship with failure and really define that for yourself instead of what you think it should be. Now, my final question for you, Sam, is if you had an overarching life philosophy or a mantra that you try to live your life by, what would that be? Show love, be love and do love. I love that. That's so Show good. love, be love and do Show love. Show love, be love and do love. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really love that. And it's so simple but so true. I think that if we – I think if we all lived more from love, everything would just be fine. Right? Yeah, and just like there's, there's a lot, but I mean like it all does come back to that. Like if you're showing someone love and that's like gratitude, compassion, empathy, if you're being a listening ear, that's kind of love. It, it, it all kind of all falls under that for me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I feel I feel anyway, that, that's my lifelong mantra. And to wrap it all up on that, it's probably just kind of like just – always be willing to learn you know like you, you, as I said earlier no one knows everything about anything and I think just staying humble and being open-minded to things I think is really important it helps yeah I love that so much so we've got to remember that um show love be love and do love and no one knows everything about anything I love that you got so it. two great life philosophies to live by don't well, forget them, Rach. Don't forget don't, them. I will not. I definitely will not. I think we'll have to pop that up in the show notes and have them as quotes as well so everyone will remember <laughs> by Sam Webb. Thank you so much for this chat. I've, I've really loved chatting with you and it's been um, – it's so great to connect on these these really great things that I think we're both really passionate about. So thank you again so much. No, I'm so grateful. I appreciate what you're doing, Rach, and, I, and yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and chatting with me today. It's been a real, real, real pleasure and I've learned a lot from you. So thank you. I've learned a lot from you too. Where can people find you? Um, so on Instagram or your websites and where can they find all the good work that Livin is doing as well? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, they can find all the great work Livin does at www.livin.org and they can find me at Sam Webb, both on Instagram. At Sam Webb. We'll pop them up in the show notes for you guys, so make sure you check it out. Tell us what you loved and learnt from this episode by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, screenshot this, tag us, and share it to your IG stories. Thank you again, Sam, for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Rach Active Podcast. Mm-hmm.